A little bouncer slowly toward Bryant. He will glove it and throw to Rizzo. It's in time. And the Chicago Cubs win the World Series. I remember running home from school, turning on the TV to the Cubs game, sitting with my dad to watch his heroes. Welcome to the World Series Dreaming Chicago Cubs Dreamcast. Now hanging out with the guys of Obstructive View. We are not affiliated with the actual Chicago Cubs, but we're just a bunch of guys who love the local nine and enjoy talking baseball and, of course, the 2016 World Series champion Cubs. Hello again, this is Kent. I am RiceCube on the socials. With me is Jeff, a.k.a. Bersilius, and Tyler, who goes by running flannel. How are you guys doing tonight? Great. Oh, doing well. I haven't seen you in a while, Tyler. How was the school year? Because I, I don't think I've talked to you since the off-season or spring training, almost. Well, you know, those last couple of weeks of the school year are always busy and stressful, but I've really enjoyed being off now. It's my favorite part of the school year is when those first couple of weeks after you're done watching a lot of baseball. We did have a very good homestand for the Chicago Cubs this past week. The National League, unfortunately, still sucks, particularly the Central Division. So there's a chance. Been looking at, say, Suzuki. He has some good moments. He's hitting the ball hard, but he seems to be scuffling. So we could talk about that. What's up with Talkman? Like he, he's kind of becoming the next legendary Cubs no-name. We still have some bullpen issues, and like my major concern is that Anthony Kay's arm stays attached to him, and really anything else we can think of. So how's that for a plan, fellas? I love this plan. I'm excited to be a part of it. Let's do it. Sounds good. That's great. Spring gave away to summer. Past the ivy colored dreams toward the days that kept us. Yearning for tomorrow. Five and one homestand after they had won the uh, series against the Giants. And, you know, last week Jeff and I were talking. Unfortunately, <laughs> the Cubs did not win the game against the Giants that I went to, but they did win the series. So they've been basically on a hot streak and now they're within a few games of 500 and hopefully inching closer. So, yeah, the NL Pretty much sucks. I think the full year interleague and the balanced schedule and everything is just basically beating up on the NL teams, save for the few that are comfortably ahead in their divisions. Well, even the supposedly good National League teams are bad. The Padres, the Mets, the Cardinals really gives me some perspective on this Cubs season and really gives me a little bit of hope. If the Reds can stop pretending to be good for a little bit, I think the Cubs have a chance to put themselves in position to maybe be buyers. I mean, that would be interesting. I think if they buy anything, it'll just be bullpen guys. I don't, I don't think they're going to do anything wild. But yeah, the, the NL thinking, I don't know if it's still some leftover effect of, you know, rosters and stuff not being prior to the to the DH or what. It's kind of weird. So now that the DH is in both leagues, I wonder if, you know, someday they're they're just going to, get rid of the NLAL and just go to like East and West or something like that. Yeah, I think uh, both Adam and I have discussed like realignment in those terms. I don't know that they're that anti-tradition. 
that they'll just get rid of the leagues. I think there'll still be some separation there, but the full year interleague balance schedule, all that stuff, I think is going to play into how teams construct themselves in the future because I think we're seeing a lot of teams to basically beat up on each other. And that's why so many in this early part of the season are so close to 500. And then, of course, you get the truly tanky teams. I think there there's definitely a chance. I My main hope is that they don't go full sell-off because, you know, this was supposed to be a transition year. Build for next year. Don't sell off, except for Bellinger, maybe. Yeah, if nothing else, this hot streak has made that uh, made that much less likely. So, um, uh, you know, aside from seeing the Cubs win, that's been an extra extra silver lining to that is that they're not going to blow it up. I find myself a little conflicted on Marcus Stroman and how I would feel about them trading him. If he keeps pitching like he has pitched, he could be the best starter on the market potentially, and could you know bring in some pretty nice prospects. And so what I suspect will happen and what I sort of fear will happen is the Cubs are going to find themselves at the trade deadline, probably within three games of 500 either way. What do you do with Marcus Stroman at that point, especially if, you know, based on what we've heard from Marcus and from Jed, it kind of sounds like the Cubs are not super interested in negotiating an extension right now and talking extension. So if the team's not super interested in extending him or spending the money it's going to cost to extend him. I wonder if they would consider, even if they're at that 500 mark and maybe within a couple games of first place, if they would consider trading him and if they would be willing to kind of weather the backlash that would inevitably come with a move like that. Yeah, it's kind of a weird situation. I can't think of anyone like this. You know, usually it's the other way around where the team wants to extend the guy and the player, you know, wants to test the market. But I can't think of any any cases where a guy specifically like, playing well and saying like, Hey, it'd be great if I signed an extension here <laughs> and the team just stonewalling him, at least in the media. The one that I'm thinking of right now, and because they're all from the same GM tree is this is going to be Jed Hoyer's version of the Nomar trade. Cause when that happened in 2004, obviously they won the world series and it worked out for them, but that was a big deal. I remember that I was like, I can't believe they traded him. And I wasn't that big in the baseball back then, but it was a huge deal. If even casual fan version of me noticed it. So I don't think Marcus Stroman is a franchise altering kind of player, but he is essentially this team's ace. And at some point, like you're building for the rest of the season, you're building for next year, you do need that ace. And I, I think they're better off keeping him. But I can also see a situation where they do behind closed doors, whisper, whisper, hey, we're going to trade you, but you're going to opt out anyway. We'll renegotiate at that point. So they don't have to deal with the QO. At the end of the season, they can get the prospects and they can see what happens from there. Well, so they can't even do the QO. So they can't they can't do the uh, what they did with Wilson last year, uh, the kind of sit on him and just let him go to free agency. Stroman got a qualifying offer when he left the Mets. I think they have to trade him or they have to extend him because if they just let him walk for nothing, that would be such a big L on Ched's record to let that guy just go and get nothing out of him uh, i do think that if the cubs went whisper whisper we're going to trade you uh to marcus i think we would probably know about it within the hour i'm curious to see 
uh, I'll be monitoring his Twitter feed closely as we get closer to the trade deadline. Yeah, I'm glad you reminded me of that one. I was trying to remember whether he had gotten the QO and whether the Cubs had to surrender that draft pick when they signed him. But good memory. Like uh, I've been forgetting a lot of stuff these days. I, I didn't realize that extended to the the next contract. I, I just assumed that it was something that Stroman and the Cubs would have negotiated would have anything to do with the Mets. But my brain is probably still several CBAs behind. So don't trust me on this one. Yeah, qualifying offers. They're uh, once per career. Once you get one, uh, you don't you don't get it. Ah, I did not realize once per career. Oh, that's interesting. I think they changed in either the very recent one or the one just before because they they just wanted to make sure that, well, everybody knows about, you know, you trade them, you can't do the QO. So that's that. But uh, yeah, once per career, I think was a more recent development. That gives him a lot of options and that also makes sure that like if he makes it to free agency, his value is not depleted. After this series, they actually go to London. That's going to be very exciting. I think I saw a few pictures of them uh, sprucing up the field. I, I don't know if that's like a baseball-specific stadium or if they just repurposed a cricket field, but it does look nice. Yeah, I, I haven't seen it yet, but uh, I, I imagine it's pretty nice. I mean, they've had time to, to work on it. It's not like when they go and play in that bandbox in Puerto Rico or they don't have to deal with a crazy altitude like in Mexico City, so... You know, I guess short of Japan, that's probably the best place to play internationally. <laughs> really excited the Cubs are going to London. A little worried that the travel and the time off back and forth is going to mess up their mojo a little bit. They know they've got some momentum right now. So I just hope that that can carry internationally. Jet lag doesn't affect them too much. Yeah, I know it really messed up the Packers when they played there last year. though. They had plenty of other issues. So correlation does not equal causation. Well, both the Cubs and the Cardinals are on the road right now. They are in the same time zone, so they're basically both in the same boat or plane, as it were. So both of them will have to deal with the same thing and excuses and whatnot. But I think with several days off after this, I think it's two days off, right, before they, they actually play their first game, and it's a two-game series, and then they get one day to rest before they come back. So... Cubs definitely need to win these next two against Pittsburgh. Got to have good vibes going into London because those two off days are going to be brutal if the Cubs drop a couple of these games to Pittsburgh. Yeah, by the time this airs, you'll we'll find out one way or the other because uh, I'll, I'll probably post something snarky one way or the other. I feel like they're putting together good hits. I just like certain players like say Suzuki has been kind of flailing at pitches. I don't know if he's having trouble just picking them up or whatever, but the swings seem less confident. But when he connects it, it really goes a long way. So I, I don't know if that's just anecdotal or if there's just something messing with him psychologically. Yeah, the uh, anecdote on my end, my end looks like he's just hitting a bunch of line drives right at guys, which could be frustrating, but uh, I'm not super worried yet. Yeah, anecdotally, and again, I have I have none of the data around this but it feels like he's been beating the ball under the ground this year and maybe that's just you know I don't think his ground ball rate is any higher than it was last year so maybe it's just been in like big spots he's been hitting a lot of ground balls but it's felt like when he comes up especially with the runners in scoring position he's had a hard time getting the ball in the air 
Yeah, now, now that Hosmer's gone, he seems to be the the magnet for the guy who who comes up with the bases loaded and then you know lines into a double play or what, whatever other uh, cubby occurrence uh, had been happening for most of the year until this uh, this last two week stretch. I feel like he's on the verge of breaking out, but I've been saying that for a few weeks, like ever since he came back from the oblique injury, and there's been hot streaks, there's been cold streaks. I guess he is potentially one of those streaky hitters, and, and I know that causes Cubs fans a lot of frustration, but I also feel like he deserves a little bit of runway, especially since like when he makes contact, it does sound loud, and like Jeff said, it's just seems to be finding gloves most of the time. That's extremely annoying. Well, at least he has a, a Patrick Wisdom on the roster to make make himself a little bit better since Wisdom is even more streaky hitter than he is. Wisdom went on the IL. It's kind of annoying, too, because if they let him keep playing with that wrist injury and it festered into something that they had to actually throw him on the IL afterwards, it's... Yeah, it doesn't make sense. But, you know, the Cubs have had this like notorious sort of reputation for doing this that everybody has seemed to notice, or at least it's been amplified because everybody keeps talking about it. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm more credulous. I, I just assumed it was more of a he's on the I.L. for sucking and the wrist was just an excuse. <laughs> I guess I don't know if they've done that as much recently as they used to. They might have done that for Rios. That's why he went on the IL for whatever reason, and then they activated him and just optioned him. <laughs> so I, I guess some of these are time-saving moves, but they, they have to have some kind of medical record or at least some like a threshold where the the medical examiner or not not the medical examiner because they're not dead, but you know the the doctor type, type person just sees. This, this is a little more serious than day to day, so we should probably do something about it. Yeah, I'm sure Patrick Wisdom's wrist hurts at least a little bit. I Yeah, I also kind of suspected that it was just like a we need this roster spot and you have been striking out 50% of the time. He hasn't been good. It's been really disappointing. He's a guy that year to year you never really know his roster spot because he's he's really good when he's good and then he's really bad when he's bad. And you wonder how long the Cubs are going to stick with him. He's, what, 32 now? I wonder how long he sticks with this team. And it's not like they can option him down either because, like, a lot of the guys who are playing as positions are doing well. Like, even David Bodie is, is on a hot streak, so there's no playing time for him. So at that point, if they have to take him off the off roster, I think it is a DFA. Or you wonder if he just ends up being, like, a cash considerations kind of trade for a team that, is looking for something else at third base. Then I guess there are probably a couple of other spots where just like at some point, please replace Miles Mastroboni. At some points, you you have to let Nick Madrigal go, although he <laughs> he had that uh, would-be home run, but not because he's not in Iowa and the wind's not blowing out. Is Zach McKinstry still available? Can we do like a takes-back season on that one? Maybe, uh, you know, swap him <laughs> out with uh, Master Boney when nobody's looking, perhaps. I think the one that uh, I've seen talked about is Jamer Candelario, but that might cost a tiny bit more. I would love a Jamer uh, reunion. Who was he traded for when he went to Detroit? Does anybody remember? It's like uh, Nick Castellanos and Justin Wilson, I think. That's right. Yep. It was either that or the... Alex Avila trade. So it was one or the other, but that, that sounds about right. It was the Avila one. 
I'm glad one of us can use Google, by the way. That, that's Avila, <laughs> for Avila and Justin Wilson. So Nick Castellanos was the other one that they, they used for uh, Alex Lang and all those other guys. Yeah, and cash considerations. Yeah, cash considerations wears many hats. <laughs> but then again, like the Cubs are able to find, you know, random guys that, you know, they might have scuffled uh, starting out, but then they just go on a hot streak like my Mike Talkman. I don't know. I, I feel like his line is a little wacky because he doesn't necessarily have a lot of slug, but, but he just gets on base. I'm a little baffled as to why he wasn't on the roster to start the season when uh, when Suzuki was out. I guess he was a bit of a journeyman, but I don't know, maybe he had a lousy spring. I don't know why he would he would have gone on or would yeah I can't talk why he wouldn't have gone up over uh, over Mastroboni. I mean he was great in the minors too. It's not like he suddenly got hot like in May or whatever when Bellinger was called up. I don't know. Maybe this is a, a hindsight is 2020 situation, but. But yeah, even even in the minors, he was he was getting on base. Woba around 420. I think it had to do with trying to keep Luis Torrens for a little bit until they decided he wasn't necessary anymore. And there there was just like a few months of just wasted roster spots. But I guess that's just what you have to do when you're not completely sure and you you have to keep a guy on the roster. I was uh, looking at Talkman, and I think a lot of fans were just kind of wondering like what he would become. And now he's playing pretty well in center field. He runs the base as well. He gets on base a lot. He's basically uh, achieved early Micah Hoffpower, Jake Fox, Tony Campana type like legendary status. Mike Talkman has been much more productive than any of those players, at least from memory. I don't think. Any of those guys were ever actually very productive. But Mike Talkman, I mean, I think his his eye and his ability to take a walk is a real skill. And I think, you know, the BABIP's going to go down. Uh, the slug, I don't necessarily know that it's in there. But if he can keep just being a walk guy, I think he's, you know, even when Bellinger gets back into the outfield, I think that's a really good fourth outfielder to have. The StatCast data doesn't like him in center field, but to my eye, he seems pretty good. And I am, of course, smarter than StatCast, so Mike Talkman, Gold Glove center fielder, I think. Yeah, he had that great catch in the uh, style near no-hitter. That's certainly uh, some great anecdata to back that up. And just like what we're seeing without disseminating anything, he seems to track the ball well, at least. So he's going to make the routine plays look easy and the... He'll, he'll get to a few tough plays. I think Bellinger is probably still the superior center fielder, but until his knee stops barking, uh, I'm just going to have to live with Talkman, and that's okay. So let's take a quick interlude because I haven't talked to Mr. Tyler in a while. Jeff and I have bandied this around for quite a while. How, what what do you think of the new rules, man? Oh, I am I'm pretty in favor of all of them. Uh, I think the pitch clock is so good that I have found myself forgetting about it. I've kind of I've adapted to this new normal, and now when a baseball game goes more than two and a half hours or so, I'm like looking at the clock, like, whoa, are we gonna wrap it up soon? Like, I don't. I think the pace of play is great. I think the stolen base thing seems to have calmed down a little bit. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but again, anecdotally, it feels like it, people were being really aggressive early on. It's calmed down a little bit, but still, you know, 
I think it's the opportunity for stolen base makes it a little bit more exciting when somebody's over on first base. I think the bigger bases are a little bit bigger, which is neat. But really, the pitch clock, the shift ban, I think has been good for athleticism in the infield. It's, you know, you still look at a ball hit up the middle and Dansby Swanson is standing behind second base. So the shift's not totally gone. But I do think we've seen a few more balls trickle through that wouldn't have trickled through before. A few more left-handed hitters getting hits. Doesn't seem to have helped Kyle Schwarber very much. But Corey Seager has been incredible. So all in all, I'm in favor. I think it's been great. And speaking on the time of game, like even if it inches past the two and a half hour mark, you don't notice it as much because usually when that happens, it's because they've scored a lot or they've had a number of pitching changes because they've scored a lot. So there's a lot more action packed into the extra time that is spent. So I really like that part of it. And, you know, they, they don't, have as much time to spin yarns but if you're a good broadcaster like pat hughes you know or boog and jd have good banter even though some people for whatever reason don't like them i i think they have their reasons and i think they're legitimate but i i do and i i think they're doing fine uh even with the shortened time between pitches so i feel like it, it's worked out pretty well and i very rarely see a pitch clock violation now and when you do, it's all over YouTube and everybody's freaking out. But those are rare. I, I think everybody's basically got used to it. One thing that is really gnawing at me, though, is the automated strike zone. I think, like, based on how certain umpires are calling the game, like, I, I feel like MLB is just going to shoehorn it in next year. They're, they are testing ABS. I, I, I don't know. I, I think they have to give the players, like, a year notice. So if he doesn't say anything this offseason then it's probably the year after, so 2025. Yeah, it looks like he said it in that same press conference when he said all those other very stupid things about the <laughs> Oakland days and Pride Nights, etc. I don't know if they have to make an agreement with the umpires union or not on that. Um, that might gum things up. I'm not sure, though. I feel like the umpires have a say on the competition and rules committee, but... The owners and MLB have the majority, so it doesn't really matter what the umpires say. I guess the union only lets them have representation, and that's about it. But I, I honestly don't know. I, I am hashtag not a lawyer. <laughs> yeah, but, I don't know. Uh, it's, 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 it's separate from the CBA, but I don't know exactly. It's got to be tied in at least set somewhere. I mean, if they went to full robot umps, there would definitely be a strike for the umpires. So there, there, there's a line somewhere that uh where where these things are touched yeah i think they're going to use a challenge system where you basically have three challenges and you keep everything if you're right and then you lose them if you're wrong they they wouldn't do full robot Uh, i don't think they'd ever go full robot in mlb but uh you know i've been wrong many many times before being wrong is what i do best he did say some very dumb things about Oakland. I think that's an entirely new new podcast until like Oakland decides <laughs> what and and uh, Vegas figure out what to do. I, I feel like it'd be kind of funny to to see Oakland charge them like an exit fee or something, but uh, I don't think that's gonna happen because I don't know the legality of something like that. We can go back to the Cubs and just talk about how to shore things up and make sure that they stay the course as much as they can. I feel like there's still a bunch of swing and miss in this team. 
but at the same time, they have like enough bats in the lineup that they can keep the line moving. And that's what we've been over this this past hot streak is like even when guys are swinging in and missing, like the next guy is able to get get a hit. And we hadn't been seeing that for quite a while during their May swoon. Yeah, I don't think it's a good offense compared to the rest of the league, but I think it's playable. They have a playable lineup right now, which is better than they've had for a while. Yeah, I said going into the year, I'd be happy with this team just being watchable. And I, I think true talent level wise, I think that's what that's kind of what they are. Like the offense is going to be blown, blowing up any scoreboards, but I think they're they're good enough to be be pesky. You know, sometimes all you need is pesky because, like, you know, like we always say, when the plan works, it really works. The pitching is good. The bullpen locks it down. The defense is the defense. But when it's bad, it's just bad because they have, like, literally no margin for error because of the kind of team that they are. So, yeah, you just want them to win more more often than not. And, you know, easier said than done. But uh, here we are. They They are within three and half games of Cincinnati and uh, the Reds are just on a tear. And I think like they just recently got Will Myers, they DFA'd him. Uh, so I, I think they're thinking of making a run, especially since they overtook both Milwaukee and Pittsburgh for the division lead. Like it's, I thought that Pittsburgh would be last. I thought Reds would be fourth place, but like it shows you, you can't predict baseball. Sometimes you just got to play the games and they play, they're playing very well right now, and it's kind of scary. Yeah, they're winning again today, and uh, and Votto's back too. <laughs> Seems to not have a lot of rust based on uh, how he performed in yesterday's game. I think baseball is better with Joey Votto in it, so I'm okay with that. Like I, I just hope he does well, and they still lose. Yeah, Votto's the best. Uh, I love him. I like that when he was out, we still got a lot of Joey Votto content. Felt like he was always pretty busy making, doing some kind of something. Yeah, he's just living his best life because I, I guess he's in the twilight of his career where you don't really know how much longer he'll be playing. But at least when he is playing, he's still being productive, especially after recovering from what was a like a labrum tear or something. Can't remember what it was specifically, but I know he had shoulder surgery. Right now he's healthier again. And depending on what happens after this year, like he, he said in a different podcast once upon a time, because, you know, why would he be on this one? But anyway, like he wanted to just kind of play it by ear and he thought he might have like a year or two left in him uh, after this particular contract. So yeah, we'll, we'll see. Like baseball again is very good with Joey Votto as a player and as their ambassador, but just like with Kutch and the Pirates, I want Kutch to do well, but also, the Pirates suck, and they should lose all the time. Yeah, I was joking earlier. My uh, my, my boss is a Pirates fan, so I was kind of gently trolling him after the Cubs fought them last week. But luckily, he's a very jaded Pirates fan, so he didn't, uh, he didn't take offense. He, he's really happy to have Kutch back. He, he's really enjoying the season. I do think that, that this will change how teams construct themselves, because we were talking about the balanced schedule and the fact that now you have less division uh, time. So that means you have to beat up on the rest of the league, which means you can't just try to win a division. You have to make a team that will win 90 to 100 games where most of those are coming outside your division now. And that's going to be really rough. So that means the team can't be like catered towards like a division heavy schedule. They have to beat everybody. 
I think that the the new wild extra wild card also adds an interesting wrinkle. I think we've seen it this year. I think that the league is starting to shift towards more parity, but more parity in that just a lot of passable, like mediocre to semi good teams, like a lot of teams capable of playing around 500 and very few super teams. And I think that it's being exacerbated by those teams that were supposed to be super teams like Pit, um, not Pittsburgh, uh, San Diego and uh, New York, the Mets, with them not doing so hot. I think that the league is going to start shifting to be in everyone's just going to kind of be aiming for, you know, one of those wild card spots. And if you can luck into a division, good on you. There, there was a lot of talk from the higher ups that they were trying to shoehorn in salary restrictions. Like, uh, eventually we need a salary cap. Players are never going to go for that. But the players don't uh, necessarily control what non-player staff make. So there was another proposal to try to limit what is spent on front offices, on the analytical staff, on the non-on-field staff. And I thought that was kind of kind of crazy but it also seems like the the teams are the owners are anticipating that parity and trying to jump up ahead of it by also instituting uh salary restrictions yeah i thought it was comical when that story came out i couldn't believe that they would actually be even trying to do that or how they would uh how they would enforce it i mean that's about as, as weirdly cheap and petty as you can get but only within their own ranks which makes it even weirder yeah, and the unfortunate part with the performance of those rich, so-called rich teams is that they are going to lend fuel to the fire that maybe you don't need to spend that much. And I'm just like, well, at some point you do need superstars and you need to be able to pay them. So you can't limit that that part of the market. At the same time, they've basically, like if you look at the certain division leaders, they don't spend all that much. Like the Rays are still super good and they are being beaten right now by the Baltimore Orioles who have, I guess, comparably low payroll, uh, but they have like a superb farm system. And that's kind of like what I am envisioning this Cubs team becoming is somebody with a good farm system and like the Dodgers has a, has a fundage to back it up. I mean, kind of the funny thing about this, too, and, and you know, I, I don't know the numbers, so this is just me wildly speculating, but, you know, in some sense, people are saying that, like, oh, this is like targeting the teams that, you know, know how to do this stuff like the Rays, but I would be shocked if the Rays had a uh, above average front office spending compared to other teams. They're just really good at minding their money, so I guess whatever money they do spend, they apparently have hired the right people. And that's something that is probably an industry secret that will not soon be revealed. Do you guys realize that this is the seventh inning already? That was fast. I I guess uh, Marcus Stroman has another quality start. And at some point, I guess we have to dig into the bullpen. And it's good that at least, you know, some of them are playing their roles. Uh, Merriweather has been very, very good. You got Leiter and Alzali on the back end and Anthony Kay has stepped up. So there's got to be others. I I think Michael Rucker is still a pretty good mop-up guy. So that, that was nice for him to put two shutout innings on the boards. 
So yeah, he's he's been better. I mean, the 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 bar for his earlier season performance is pretty low. Though that that said, I, I could never remember which is which between Michael Rucker and Michael Fulmer. So one of those guys needs to like change their first name or something. <laughs> I could never remember which one is which. But I guess that's well, Fulmer's been doing well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Fulmer's Ful- Ful- been up. doing better. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, overall, I mean, even if you look at the bullpen over like the past month, the the only two guys who've been uh, below replacement level are Hughes and Estrada, who aren't on the roster right now. And like Assad's been replacement level, but he's mostly been doing mop up work. So whatever. Yeah, you know, I think the bullpen is in a pretty good spot right now, as long as the guys that have been good lately stay good, which I recognize is not a very controversial take. But it seems like Michael Fulmer's kind of figured it out. Adbert is the closer right now. Mark Leiter Jr. has been incredible all season. I can't believe that they DFA'd him over the offseason and still were able to keep him. And I still think that we're going to see some reinforcements coming up from the minors in the second half of the season. I wonder if we'll see Ben Brown in the bullpen at some point this year, especially if the Cubs are looking competitive in the second half. So the bullpen, I think they could probably use one more like really good, reliable arm, but I'm not, you know, I'm feeling pretty good about it right now, which is, would shock me if you had told me that a month ago. Yeah, I feel better about it now. I, I mean, I'm always expecting to be uh, pretty, pretty disappointed with the bullpen. You know, I think pretty much any team other than that Royals World Series winning team is always could use bullpen improvements. And maybe I get a little spoiled by the Cubs actually being able to put together some pretty good bullpens over the past few years, though they ended up training most of those guys, that it kind of set my bar a little higher for what a, a bullpen should be. But they're, they're they're fine, I think, now. So since uh, the Cubs are playing the Pirates at the moment, and given what just happened throughout the game, what is up with the Pirates continuing to hit opposing batters? It's not just the Cubs. They hit everybody. And it's, it's a high enough rate of hit-by-pitches that you just notice it. Uh, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it, it just seems to happen a lot. There's something wrong with their rosin or wrong with their mechanics. I think that's been a narrative around the Pirates for a long time, right? I feel like, you know, I feel like I remember people talking about the Pirates hitting people all the time in like 2010. And so it's got to just be something to do with the way they teach their pitchers to throw, or maybe they just aren't good at developing control guys. Yeah, I used to think it was a it was a Clint Hurdle thing when he was their manager that he was just kind of a red ass and that was just part of their identity. But the fact that it's continued seems weird. And so yeah, maybe it is something else. Yeah, I just hope that they leave Pittsburgh without any major injuries because a lot of these are hitting arms and and shins and what whatnot. Like I, I did joke that if you can actually hit Nick Magical with a pitch that demonstrates some kind of like ulterior control, but still, man, like watch what you're doing. Okay, good. I just looked up how recent uh, Clint Hurdle was their manager and he, uh, he, he left in 2019. So this wasn't a uh, manager I recently enjoyed situation in the uh, obstructive view sense. He actually was a recent, recent manager. <laughs> Yeah, I guess uh, we'll we'll just stick with it and make sure that they do what they're supposed to do for the remainder of this first half. So uh, if you were you guys were vote, voting now and, you know, they've been inundating us with emails and tweets and social media and whatnot to just vote for a Cubs all-star, 
Who who's on your list uh, other than say Marcus Stroman because that's probably the obvious one. I mean, I'd say Dansby, but past that, I don't I don't really. I'm oh, sorry. I guess Justin Steele also. Yeah, uh, you know, defense defense doesn't get you into the All Star game very often, but if it did, Dansby would be there. That being said, there are a couple shortstops in the league hitting a little bit better than Dansby. Wish he was. If he had a couple more home runs, I think he would really be in the conversation. Justin Steele, I think, just needs to have a couple good starts, and then I think he's in a pretty good spot. If Cody Bellinger hadn't gotten hurt, I think he had a pretty good case. But as it is, I think it's probably a little too late now for him to get into that game. So, yeah, I think I think Marcus Stroman is probably going to be their only representative, if I had to guess. Dansby's actually leading all... Uh... National League shortstops in war, which surprises surprises me. Like I know he's been good, but I don't know. maybe not all of baseball. I think Corbin Carroll's the war leader. It looks like right now, at least on offense. Just I think uh, Dansby's leading the league in outs above average right now. I'd have to double check that. I think he's been like the best defensive player in baseball. Yeah, I just looked it up now. Really... He's he's tied with Cabrian Hayes in outs above average. That's pretty good. Yeah, I, I think, unfortunately, right now, unless like some guys go on a tear, they're not even going to be picked as reserves. So I feel like it's Stroman and possibly Steele at this point. So I, I will be in agreement with you guys. I want to see Stroman start the All-Star game. That's what I'm pulling for. Is he not the best starter in the NL at this time because of all those quality starts? I think he is. I think he, yeah, so yeah, that, he doesn't strike a lot of guys out. So, again, not super flashy, but if you look at the data, yeah, he's the best starter in the National League this year. The uh, contact manager type of pitcher is kind of a rare breed these days. So everybody's just trying to overpower the the batter and, you know, strike him out and all that. But the fact that Marcus Stroman generates like 60% ground balls and is economical with his pitches, for the most part, is giving him length and saving the bullpen. So that, that has a lot of value, and I think... There, there's something to be respected about that. Yeah, that, that did remind me of one other thing um, that I've been seeing lately, which I think is kind of weird. So what, one of the um, criticisms I've seen of the Cardinals and why they've been so bad is that, you know, they've got this staff that doesn't strike anybody out. But it's not like, not like the Cubs are blowing uh, blowing anyone away with their starters. And, you know, they're, they're doing pretty well. So, you know, you, you could still succeed without, you know, striking everyone out uh, in uh, in 2023. And um, I think the Cubs have keyed in on that. And I, I, at least I'd like to think that's the main reason why they signed Swanson. But maybe that was just serendipity. Beauty and the history in this cathedral. The sky so blue against the grass so green. Like time stood still forever. Well, Harris to the Cubs continue to be awesome. Of course, you can find us at obstructiveview.net. We are all on Twitter in some form or other. Uh, those will be in the show notes. Thanks to Rich Deanna for our theme song. Randall Sanders for pulling the final out call from the 2016 World Series, which nobody should ever forget. You can rate us on Apple Podcasts, share us with your friends, email us still worldseriesstreaming at gmail.com. Thanks, gentlemen, for hanging out with me tonight. Thanks, Rice. Yeah, thank you. And go Cubs. It was more than just a game. Holy crap, that almost went out. Did you guys see that? Yeah, I, I almost <laughs> that.
I can't, I don't think I've ever seen Nick Madrigal hit a baseball to a wall before. So it was so shocking. <laughs> it was so shocking that it crashed my app, but I'm, re- I'm restarting my iPad. <laughs> it was more than just a game.